Good morning. You would have thought that we planned all this today, but we did not. We are in Luke chapter 14 dealing with some very hard sayings that Jesus gave to his disciples. And Pastor Luke, your testimony today, it, could, it fits right in with what Jesus wants to speak to us about today. What would Jesus, our Lord, have us learn today? Did it strike you by chance today when, when Sheila was reading the hard sayings that Jesus said about carrying our cross, about surrendering our lives to him? Three times Jesus said in those verses, if you don't do this, what did he say? You cannot be my disciple. Those are hard sayings. In Luke chapter 9 through 19, Jesus is on his way to the cross, and Luke records all the events as Jesus set his heart and mind to go to the cross in Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, Peter made the great declaration. Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? And then, who do you disciples say that I am? And, and, and Peter responded, it's spokesman for the whole crew of the disciples, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the chosen one. And Jesus said immediately after that declaration that he was going to the cross. Immediately after that declaration, he said, and if you follow me, you have to pick up your cross. To gain your life, you have to be willing to lose your life. Who is Jesus in Luke chapter 9? The transfiguration answers the question. Listen to my son. He's God the son. God the father said, listen to him because he's the chosen one. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, Jesus set his heart, mind resolutely to go to Jerusalem. He was going there to carry his cross. My salvation, your forgiveness of your sins cost Jesus much. And Jesus doesn't hide it from us people. He doesn't hide the truth. He says, it's costly to follow me. There's going to be loss. If you follow me, you must lose something. But there's great things to be gained, if you will. There's much to be gained. There are costs, but there's greater glory if you're willing to endure. My question this morning is, as we head into this passage, just to take a quick look, is do I believe what Jesus says? Can Jesus be trusted? What do you say? I love what Daryl Bach says. Walking the full route with Jesus as one of his disciples is a tough road to walk. <laughs> I like to look at it this way. There's no small print with Jesus. <laughs> he doesn't have this fine print that you can't read, so you just don't even bother. You sign anyway, even if you don't read. He doesn't do that to us. He lays it out there for us. One of the foundational elements of following Jesus, being a disciple, a true discipleship, concerns the issues of my heart, the issues of your soul. <laughs> following Jesus begins in my heart. Do I really believe 
who he is, is my allegiance with him alone. Did you notice in chapter 14, verse 25, we're in a different place than we were last week. We were in a house at a dinner last week. Now Jesus turns to the crowds and he says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He's laying it out there for them, and he's laying it out there for you and me today. <laughs> he who has ears to hear, she or he, let them hear. Are you willing? Are you ready? Will you decide to follow Jesus with all you are and have? Yes or no? Jesus says there's no in-between. That's tough stuff. Let's take a quick look. Issue number, hard issue number one, Jesus first, verses 25 through 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Am I willing to put Jesus first? Willing to lose my family over Jesus? Literally, should I hate my family? No. We're commanded to love our enemies. We're commanded to love one another. We're commanded to love our husbands, our wives, our children, and vice versa. We're to love one another so that we can prove to be Jesus' disciples. But what that meaning here is, hating in this context means loving Jesus more than anything else, loving others less. He's my first loyalty. Devotion to Jesus has to be full devotion, wholehearted. Halfway devotion doesn't cut it. And we try to do it all the time. But it has to be all in or not. An R.J. Karras, have no idea who he is, just love the quote. <laughs> A disciple is not a volunteer who does periodic work on their, on their terms when it's convenient. That's not a disciple. They're all in. You're either with Jesus or you're against him. That is a hard saying. But let me remind you, it's not all negative. Because Jesus says if you lose your life following him, you do what? You gain real life. You gain kingdom life now and forever, an unending life, a life with God. And those who love and follow Jesus get to live in his kingdom of peace and righteousness, which is what the world is craving and cannot create on its own without God and without faith in Christ. Kingdom citizenships begins by trusting belief in Jesus now that he's God and Savior. He's the one who was sent to save us. So this is the first of the three. You cannot be my disciple unless you love me and are loyal to me more than to anyone else. Now, why is that a hard saying? Because I don't love God the way I should love God. Deuteronomy 6, the, the Hebrew Shema. Hear, O hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might, and with all your mind. 
and I fall so far short of that. In Psalm 73, there's this guy who wrote that Psalm, Asaph, and he was having a problem. He was having a problem with the world because he looked around the world and he said, wicked people are winning and I've kept my heart clean trying to follow God and I feel like I'm losing. It's not going well for me. I'm not sure this is worth it. And then he got his eyes on God and this is what he said. Nevertheless, when I remember who God is, I remember the wicked where they're going to end up. This is what I say. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So he came to his senses. He realized that it was worth it. When you get your heart's eyesight turned back to the Lord, you're going to think like Asaph. First issue, following Jesus, it's a heart issue. He's got to be first. And then he talks about, secondly, second heart issue, following him, carrying your cross. Verse 27, Who does, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Am I willing to lose my life to follow Jesus? It's good to be quiet and think about it, isn't it? Jesus is on his way to the cross to die for the world's sins. It's a, we're, about at, we're about at the midpoint of that journey in Luke's time frame. And he turns to his disciples again. This isn't the first time and says, you have to carry your cross. We need to hear that message again and again. Because cross carrying is what Jesus is doing here. When he came to earth, <laughs> he humbled himself. That was a cross. He's the Lord of glory, and yet he humbles himself and he becomes human flesh. That's like a cross. That's a burden. That's not easy to do, and yet he willingly did it. He's living in humility, suffering the sins of the world and all that the world <laughs> presses in on him, and he's going to die on the cross for our sins, physically suffering, mentally suffering, spiritual punishment. He carries the weight of the world's sins. Can you imagine how many sins Jesus died for? It's impossible. Think how many thousands of sins you did this week or this month. Or maybe if you're really good, maybe it was only 100. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But just think through the generations. He carried the weight, all the evil words that I've said or thought, all the evil deeds that we do. The whole world's sins. He experienced God's wrath in our place. And Jesus says, I'm carrying my cross. I'm doing the Father's will. And those who follow me must carry their own cross. Some of those people who have carried their crosses have literally suffered and died for following Jesus. We must all identify with the cross and be willing to carry ours 
carry the shame for loving and following Jesus. Sometime in your life, if you follow Jesus, it will happen. So carrying the cross means this, surrendering my plans to Jesus' plans, his dreams and his path instead of the one I've dreamed about. Being willing to be misunderstood or rejected or mocked for seeking to honor Jesus and how I live. It's amazing, isn't it, how being honest or kind can get you in trouble in the world. It means being marginalized, so maybe you don't advance in the corporation or at your workplace, never being fully accepted by people that your teammates with or classmates with or fellow workers with or neighbors with. Following Jesus means in some way I'm going to experience what Jesus experienced and suffered in his life if I'm a follower of Jesus. This is the second you cannot be my disciple unless we love Jesus above all others, unless we're willing to carry our cross and die to ourself and live for Jesus. Otherwise, I cannot be his disciple. Are you serious, Lord? Do you really mean that? Oh, by the way, you don't need to go hunting for a cross. <laughs> It'll come to you. That's what, what uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life, who wants to follow Jesus, will be what? persecuted, marginalized, put off. It's really not easy to follow Jesus faithfully, and we fail at it. It's a hard question. How deep is my love for Jesus? How far am I really willing to follow him if he asks me? Peter bragged that he would die for Jesus. And a few hours later, what did he do? Three times he said, don't want anything to do with that guy. Don't know him. Don't want to be near him. <laughs> so if God's pathway for you includes suffering, maybe even death, just remember this. Jesus walks with you there. He never forsakes you. His grace carries you through it. He never loses any of his disciples. He holds on to them. He's Lord of all. He conquered sin and death. Satan has no hold on Jesus' disciples. So where Jesus is, that's where you will be. That's what he said in, in the upper room to his disciples. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go there and prepare a place for you, I'm going to take you to be with me so that you can be where I am, by the Father's side in glory. Peter failed, and God held on to him. Jesus held on to him anyway, and we should take great comfort in that. We're going to come back to that thought in a little bit. Jesus walked faithfully on the path that God the Father had for him, and he's asking me and you to trust him enough to follow him on the path that he has us on and to not go astray. No hidden agendas, no fine print. Jesus is up front. If you're going to follow him, it's going to cost you something. Are you willing to pay the price? Verses 28 through 33, third, you cannot be my disciple unless 
Consider the cost. Before deciding to follow Jesus, count the cost. Before you build a tower, before you build a new house, before you open up a business, you got to consider the cost. Sit down and do the math. <laughs> and if you don't sit down and do the math, there's going to be a lot of pain. There's going to be uh, ridicule if you start and can't finish the project. But just remember, you weren't forced to make this decision to follow Jesus. So sit down like you're building a tower and make the calculations. Think it through. Count the cost before you go to war. That's more serious than building a tower. If you lose when you go to war, it's going to be devastating to you and to many, many other people, maybe a whole nation, maybe the whole world's going to be a mess. So this is a serious cons consideration. If you can't win, make peace. Sit down and consider if you can afford, afford to refuse, let me put it this way, the King of Kings. Who's the King of Kings? Jesus Christ. If you war against him, you are going to lose. So you would be wise to make peace with the Lord Jesus Christ, to God your Father through him. God's a good king. It's worth surrendering to him. You cannot be my disciple unless you forsake all that you have and surrender to God. Hey, God's not desperate for disciples. But he's inviting you to be one. He wants you to think about what you're getting into and then follow him wholeheartedly. Have you made that decision to follow him? It might be good to reconsider it today and recommit yourself to it. The disciples heard it regularly. We need it too. You know, I could only think of one comparison. I've read it a few times in, at wedding ceremonies. It's like the opening statement. It's like making a commitment. You better think about it. Here's what the words are. The union of husband and wife in heart, body, and mind is intended by God for their mutual joy, for the help and comfort given to one another in prosperity and adversity. Therefore, marriage is not to be entered into unadvisedly or lightly, but soberly, deliberately, and in reverent fear of God. <laughs> Leslie, I didn't know what I was getting into, but I'm glad I got into it. It's been great, but not always. Entrusting ourselves to God and to Christ is serious. By the way, she's followed me to places that are hard to follow you to. She's sacrificed a lot. But Jesus says when we entrust ourselves to God in Christ, it's serious, but the rewards are greater than marriage, like that earthly picture. Ignoring Jesus' rightful reign is foolishness. Jesus does not want you to be a faint-hearted disciple. He wants you to be a courageous disciple. So count the cost and decide. All in or all out. There's no other ground. 
if you want to be a follower of Christ. The key word in verse 33, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce, or the NIV is give up all that he has, cannot be my disciple. So what that word means is when it's in context of people, it means you're willing to say goodbye. You're willing to leave them behind to follow Jesus because of your greater love for him. When it has to do with things, it means giving them up or renouncing them, giving them up and saying, I will not let the love of my home or my possessions hold me back from losing it all to follow Jesus because he's worth it. We're ready to abandon all that we have to follow him. That's what it means. When a choice has to be made, <laughs> Jesus wins my allegiance. I don't know about you, but I've aspired to do great things for Jesus. But too often, I care more about my own interests than God's. I grab at people and things to try and fulfill me, to make me feel good about myself, rather than looking to my rock and my savior and the one who carried his, my cross, <laughs> my burdens, so that I could live with him. Have you had an Asaph experience? God, it's just not worth following you. The wicked are winning and I'm losing. If you haven't had one, you probably will sometime. But when you ponder God's mercy and his righteousness, his great love for us that he's demonstrated in Christ, I'd just like to put it this way, you get God's viewpoint. You get the bird's eye view, you get the high view, you see, wow, it's worth it. When you're down here groveling, you have the worm's eye view, that low ground earthly view, and it just doesn't make sense. Question. Is Jesus worth loving more than anything and everyone else? Yes. This is church, so the answer is obviously yes. <laughs> but it's yes. Is losing your life to follow Jesus a win? Yes. Is counting the cost of making peace with God through Christ the right decision? Yes. Is it worth giving up everything for Jesus? Yes. What happens if we're not willing to say yes? Well, that's what verses 34 and 35 are about, the repeated challenge. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If we're unwilling to have Jesus first in our life, it means we cannot be his disciple. Have you ever used unsalty salt? <laughs> it doesn't really exist. But it's possible to mix in other things with it, impurities, so it's not as salty. Let me give you a picture. Imagine doing a 50-50 or a 50, or a, a, yeah, 75-25, 25% salt, 75% flour, baking flour, 
putting them in a salt shaker and putting it on your eggs. How would it go? That's a yuck. <laughs> That's a no good. <laughs> what do you do with salt that's no longer salty? You throw it out. What do you do with a disciple who says they love you, but she doesn't show it, live it, say it, and follow? Jesus says, I'm going to throw it out in the day of judgment. Wow. That's heavy-duty stuff. That's hard stuff. Is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for you? <laughs> we fail to love Jesus like we should. Does it mean we're going to get thrown out like bad salt? Jeremiah felt betrayed. I love it. Jeremiah 20, verses 7 through 12. He said, God, you tricked me. You didn't tell me the truth. I should have read the fine print. <laughs> but he said, you know, he was getting beat up for doing what God told him to do. He was the only one almost that was speaking God's truth. All the other prophets around Jerusalem at the time were saying, oh, the Babylonians, God's going to take care of Jerusalem. We're not going to get thrown out. And Jerusalem saying, no, God sent the Babylonians to judge us because we weren't following God or loving God. We were disobeying God willingly, happily. We were just giving him lip service. So he got thrown, he got abused, he got thrown into a pit and abused and mocked and scorned. He almost lost his life. And he said, it's just not worth it. You me, but he said, you know, here's, here's the problem, God. When I don't speak your truth, it's like a fire within me. I have to speak the truth that you give me, God. I have to live the way you tell me. He realized that God was his only safe place. You can read that in Jeremiah chapter 20. What about Esther? She was a queen. She was a beauty queen. She was a king's queen. And she was safe in the palace. And that bad guy Haman was going to kill all the Jews in the land of Persia. And her cousin Mordecai said, don't think you're safe. And if you won't speak up for God's people, God will find another way to do it. But it's probably you are the queen in the palace for a reason. You're right here, right now, for such a time as this. And what did she say? If I perish, I perish. I will do God's will and his work in my life, in this time, in this place. Peter failed three times. And you failed God many times as well. But what did Jesus do? He pursued him. He restored him. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Three times. And Peter had to answer him, yes, you know I love you. Do you love me, Peter? Then follow me. Do what I'm asking you to do. And Peter turned and said, well, what about him? What about John? And Jesus' answer was, don't worry about John. John's path, John's cross. You just worry about your path. 
the cross I've given you. Walk with me in the one that I've given to you. No one who surrenders to Jesus, and Peter did, will be sorry that they did. So what are we going to do with this hard teaching of Jesus today? He's not, Jesus isn't saying we have to be perfect, sinless followers. But what he is saying is, don't fail to love and trust me, to return to me. Salvation's a gift received by believing. God indwells us. He enables us to grow in faith. He helps us to turn away from sin through the power of the Spirit of God that lives within us. When we do sin, when we go astray, when we love other things more than we love Jesus, the Spirit just keeps working in our hearts and our lives until and pricks us until we turn back to him. He brings us to our senses like he did to Asaph. He brings us to our senses, like Jeremiah and Esther and Peter. His loving mercy never loses its grip on those who trust him. A disciple is a learner. That's what the word means. Learner. Are you a disciple? Are you a follower? True disciples are constantly being renovated by Jesus. Next time you go to Home Depot or Lowe's, remember that when you're doing a renovation. <laughs> True disciples are constantly being renovated. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 3. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I press on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Don't miss the prize. The prize is Jesus Christ. Living with him, declare your commitment today. Recommit yourself to follow him because the prize is worth it. Would you pray with me? Lord God, Spirit of God, help us to see the truth that Jesus is worth following, worth dying for, worth living for, worth following wherever he would take us. Lord, I ask you to help us to believe that, to trust it, and to entrust our plans to your plans. Fill us with the assurance of your love and mercy and forgiveness. Keep us. You promise to hold on to us, to everyone who believes and trusts in you. Let it be so in every heart here today. We pray this for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.